Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. It's good to see you. I know some of you are visiting here. We're glad you're here. We're going to do something today that we don't usually do. Maybe occasionally we'll do it. Uh, Near the end of our service, we're going to have a prayer time where you can come forward or in the back for the pastors and the elders to pray for you. If you are sick, we can anoint you with oil and pray for you. If you're dealing with some stuff in your life or you just want prayer, we can pray for you. Just giving you a heads up, that's happening. Before that, we're going to do communion. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And before that, we're going to get in the Word and hear a sermon. So let's pray. Lord, I just ask that you would do significant things this morning in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds through your Word as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we have a prayer time, that you would speak your truth to us, that you would act on our behalf, and that you would bring yourself glory. And we're asking these all in Jesus' name. Amen. There used to be a movement called To Write Love on Her Arms. To Write Love on Her Arms. And the movement started with a 19-year-old girl who had a history of being abused, a variety of drug and alcohol addiction, and she was a self-inflicted cutter with 50 scars on her arm. She encounters this group of Christians who encourage her and pray with her, and she says that she's going to go to rehab the next day. But what she ends up doing during the night is locking herself in the bathroom and she takes a razor blade and she writes something on her arm. I can't even tell you what she wrote. It's very, very derogatory, very uh, explicit language. But let's just say she wrote the word loser on her arm with the razor blade. She's trying to get into this rehab for help. The rehab won't take her. Tell her that she's too volatile, can't take her. So she finally finds another rehab that will take her, but it's going to take five days for her to get in. So what happens over that next five days is a group of Christians live with her and take care of her, and their goal is to write love on her arms. You understand the concept? Where she's known nothing but abuse. She's a self-inflicted cutter, variety of addictions, feels unloved. She considers herself a loser. And they're determined to write love on her arms. And from that starts this movement. And it's a movement where they're trying to get people to be honest about what is going on in their lives, good and bad and ugly, and to find themselves getting caught up in a larger story, the gospel story of Jesus Christ, who comes to write love in our lives through his life, death, and resurrection. But it starts with this vulnerability that says, I am a mess and I am in need and I need the Lord. And you may not be as low as that girl was, but all of us have stuff going on in our lives. And what I would like to see happen this morning is that there will be a little bit of vulnerability, an openness to express 
some sense the pain and struggle and challenges in your own life and to be engaged with the larger story of Jesus Christ, the gospel story. And that's where we're going as we look at Psalm 6. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Psalm 6. This psalm was written by David, and it's traditionally called one of the penitential psalms, which means it's a psalm where the writer expresses sorrow over some sin or wrongdoing. And that's partly true. But this is also a psalm of lament, where the psalmist is crying out to God for deliverance in the midst of pain. He's suffering and he's in despair. I think we could say that at this point, David is depressed. And we don't know the specific event that triggered this depression, but something happened. Isn't that the way it works? There is usually some type of trigger that kicks off despair in our lives, that kicks off depression. And sometimes it's unexplainable, and we have no idea why this dark cloud is over us, but often something triggers it and sets us on this downward spiral. Maybe a relationship went bad or there's some issues with your children and you have this downward spiral. Or maybe the trigger is your health. You're fine, your health tanks, and emotionally you start to tank as well. Perhaps it's financial difficulties, lacking in job, unable to pay your bills. And even though we don't know the specific triggers that David has caused him to spiral, there is this similarity that we can have with him. And what we want to find ourselves doing is running into the loving arms of the Father, crying out to him and having our Father act on our behalf. And that's what's going on here. So let's start by looking at the heading. You notice the heading of uh, Psalm 6. It says, prayer for mercy in time of trouble for the choir director with string instruments upon an eight-string lyre, a Psalm of David. Why does it say all that? Do you remember that the Psalms are basically songs? And I really wonder what this Psalm would sound like if it was sung today. I can guarantee you it wouldn't be played on K-Love. For sure. These lyrics, the things he's saying, it's not easy listening music. It's not chipper music. It'd be a combination of, of blues Maybe a sad country song and a little bit of heavy metal thrown in. That's what it would sound like. So let's jump in. Verse 1. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. David understands that whatever is going on with him, parts of it have to do with he is suffering because of his sin. He understands that he's the one that somehow has triggered this state he is in, and he is facing the discipline of God. Now, before we go on, I must say that just because you're suffering doesn't mean that you've committed some great sin and you're facing the discipline of God, but you may be. But for David, he's like, he feels that God is against him. Did you see it there? He says, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. What David feels is that God's discipline upon him is pretty strong. And David, I think he's kind of outwardly wondering if God has crossed the line. 
You know, you think about a parent who gets angry and spanking their kids and, and they cross that line. And, 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 and I wonder if David's going, God, yeah, don't cross that line. In, in your wrath, don't be harsh. Don't chase me in your wrath. Don't rebuke me in your anger. Because right now at this point, David feels like he's an object of God's wrath. And when you're suffering, even as a believer, you can have this, suffering can have this effect on you. Depression can have this effect on you. Not only where you fail to see God's good purposes in his discipline, but you can feel like God is against you. Uh, chances are, a lot of us have experienced that. In our pain, we feel like God is against us. A, a great uh, biblical counselor I like, Edward Welch, he says this. He says that in the midst of depression, the only thing that you know is that you are guilty, shameful, and worthless. It's not that you've made mistakes in your life or sinned or reaped futility. It's that you are a mistake. You are sin. You are futility. You ever felt like that? It's like, this is my life. I am a loser. I am one who is an object of God's wrath. I have failed. It's all over with. And David feels that right now. He feels like God's wrath is aimed at him. And he says, okay, instead of wrath, give me mercy and grace. Look at verse 2. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed. Whatever he's going through, it seems to be impacting his whole being. He's very weak. And the, the English Standard Version uses the word languishing, for I am languishing. During 2020, it was a, a, not a great year probably for any of us. But during 2020, I started to... As, as, as long as you guys can hear me, I can preach. As I was saying... During 2020, I started to see a biblical counselor. And as I was seeing to him, I was trying to explain to him what I was feeling, and I couldn't quite find the words. And so I started to read this psalm. And the word that was given to me from this psalm was the word languishing. I said, that's what I'm feeling, languishing. I kind of feel like I can't get any traction. I feel like I'm And so what I saw as I was experiencing this, a few months later, I read an article about what was going on during 2020. And the word that people use to describe the dominant feeling during 2020, no joke, was the word languishing. It's the word languishing. And, and it's this feeling that I'm blah, I'm sluggish, I'm empty, I'm quasi-depressed. And so David feels this way and he says, be gracious to me. I need your grace. I don't deserve it. I understand I have done wrong. I have sinned. There's a lot going on. But Lord, be gracious to me. And he just kind of just beyond, he's just honest with God. He's like, God, 
I feel like maybe you've crossed the line. I'm languishing, but what, what I need is your intervention. I need grace. And then he says, how long is it going to take? Look, look what he says. Verse 3. And my soul is greatly horrified. That's the word. And my soul is greatly dismayed or horrified. But you, O Lord, how long? How long am I going to be here? How long? When are you going to move on my behalf? My soul is horrified. It's, it's suffering. And you can think about, you can say, well, God doesn't know. He doesn't know what that feels like. Well, Jesus in the garden. Yeah, right? Jesus in the garden. He said, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. You know, Jesus was called a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. In fact, we could say that Jesus Christ is the chief sufferer. <laughs> so he knows what it feels like to suffer. But we're in the midst of it. We say, okay, God, how long is it going to last? When's your intervention going to take place? How long, oh Lord? And you look out and you go, man, this world's pretty messed up. I have interactions with you during the week. I know the pain that is in your life. The stories you tell me are sometimes off the charts. It's like, I can't believe you're going through that. So rather than me sharing some of those stories, I'm gonna share uh, three quick snippets from another pastor. Because if I start telling your stories, others would know those, right? So this is what another pastor saw. Another pastor said, my wife has a second grader in her class whose father was electrocuted while repairing the family television. In her artwork, she draws pictures of her dad. How long, oh Lord? She said, he said this, he said, at a Bible study, a woman bluntly described the tragic death of her husband. She said, Tim and I had a car wreck. They brought me home and took him to the mortuary. How long, oh Lord? Down the street, our neighbor with preschool triplets struggled as a single mom after her husband left her. Now she has brain cancer. How long, oh Lord? We don't know. We cry out. So God, how long is this going to last? We know that when you come back, you're going to set everything right. But right now, would you intervene? How long is this going to last? David continues in verse 4. Return, O Lord, rescue my soul. Save me because of your loving kindness. <laughs> he doesn't say save me for me. He says save me because of your loving kindness. Save me just because that's who you are. You're a merciful God. So show your mercy and save me. And then he takes it to another level. Look at the next verse. The next verse, verse five. For there is no mention of you in death. In Sheol, who will give you thanks? He's like, God, if I die, who's going to praise you then? Of course, I can be with you face to face. I can praise you then. But I want to praise you above ground. I want to give you praise now while I'm still alive. Don't let me die because I want to bring you glory and praise. Once again, David's not appealing to himself. He's appealing to the character of God, that he is merciful and that he is gracious. And he says, let me live so I can bring you praise. Now, before we read verses six and seven, I know most of you have heard these verses before. I must remind you who is writing the psalm. David, he killed lions and bears, oh my, when he was a little kid. David, who killed Goliath, chopped off his head. 
David, who's a man of war? This is David talking, all right? You ready, guys? Verse six and seven. I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. My eye has wasted away with grief. It has become old because of all my adversaries. David is the lowest of low and he is crying. And he's crying a lot. It's like his bed is floating with tears. Can't even sleep. Can't even sleep. He's crying so much. Thinking about his enemies at night. Thinking about what's going on in his body. He's maybe depressed and in despair. He can't even sleep. Crying. It's wet everywhere. It's a lot of crying from a man of war. He's experiencing something significantly. Says, my eyes waste away because of grief. You ever cried so much your eyes hurt? You're like, man, I gotta, I gotta put a washcloth on my eyes or something. Just crying so much. That's where he's at. David. Verses eight through 10. And he says, depart from me, all you who do iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will suddenly be ashamed. This is King David speaking to those in Israel and the kingdom who've caused him trouble. And maybe they've caused him trouble by threatening him physically. Or maybe they caused him trouble by mocking him as he suffered at the hands of God. Either way, he wants them to stay far away from him. Because he is finding in himself this confidence that God is intervening in his life, that God is a gracious God. And from the Psalm 1, 6 verse 1 to Psalm 10, uh, 6 verse 10, we kind of think, well, it's fixed. David prayed a prayer, boom, all fixed. Don't think of the Psalm that way. When you read the Psalms, don't think, oh yeah, I can relate to the first part, but the last part about deliverance, I can't relate to that. This psalm is our lives over long periods of time. David's praying this way, but he's feeling, he's dismayed, he's crying. And at the end, he's saying, okay, God, you're going to intervene. But this doesn't just happen overnight. It's over time and weeks and months and years. And so for us who find wondering how long, oh Lord, we can find our confidence rising in the one that we're seeking and his intervention in our lives, either now or eventually in heaven. So I'm gonna leave you with three thoughts, okay? Important three things here to wrap up. Number one, your suffering and sickness may be a direct result of your sin. Your suffering and sickness may be a direct result of your sin. What you're feeling right now may be because you have sinned in some way. I don't know. Have you ever considered that? The Bible certainly brings that up in several spots, but one of the places it does bring that up in is in James chapter five. In fact, that's why we're gonna pray here a little bit. James chapter five, verses 13 through 16. Let me read this to you. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? And this is what we're gonna do here in a moment. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil. I have oil right here in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And here's the part. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. 
Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So we have confession, prayer, and healing happen within community. So perhaps you need to consider if some of the suffering in your life is due to your sin, and that should bring confession and repentance and calling out to God. And the second thing I want to share with you is that in your despair, just imagine God having these open arms of love, not wrath, not anger, and we can cry out to him. Jesus says this in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. You've heard it so many times. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you have problems in your life, Jesus doesn't go the other direction. He draws close to you and he wants you to draw close to him. When you have some issues going on, don't think God has somehow disappeared. That's why he came. And if there is something that you're experiencing, let me encourage you to take it to the Lord right away. And you may say, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to pray. So many problems, don't know what to say. Well, here, here, check this out. Start using the Psalms as your prayers. Start with Psalm 6. These are prayers meant to be prayed. Make them your own and cry out to God. And the last thing I want to say is that we as a church want to create this authentic community for broken people living in the gospel. We're fractured people living in a fractured world. And maybe right now you're languishing. You're stuck, you're blah, whatever, you're languishing. You're taking on some of the disposition that David had. And I want you to know that you're welcome here in this community. We're a community of broken people, welcoming other broken people. And in a sense, just like in the earlier, that group of Christians is trying to write love on that woman's arms. We're here to write love on your arms as well by bringing you the gospel, by bringing you Jesus, by bringing you grace, by bringing you forgiveness. And it's rooted in what Jesus has done for us in his perfect life, death, and resurrection on our behalf, which means that we can have real hope, which means that we believe that our Father actually hears our prayers, not because of us, but because of Jesus. And that means that when we pray here in a few minutes, if you want prayer, there's nothing special about the people praying for you. We just believe in a big God who intervenes in people's lives. Sometimes he intervenes to heal, intervenes to comfort, intervenes to change circumstances, intervenes to be Lord over people's lives. It's all made possible because of Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.